What is up, guys? I do want to remind everyone that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale right now. Use promo code BMLIVE, get 10% off of those tickets. Come join the biggest party, the biggest Bitcoin party in all of Europe, happening in October, October 12th to 14th. P, can you please introduce our guest today? Absolutely. We have two titans of the Bitcoin and Lightning privacy space. We've got Ben Carmen who is, man, you've done so much shit. You were a speaker at Bitcoin 22, the least of your accomplishments. You have been focused on coin joins and systems that uh, work to improve Bitcoin privacy. You've worked on DLCs, you were at SuredBits, and now you're at the Bitcoin company. Welcome to the show. We also have Tono Giorgio, who was also a speaker of Bitcoin 2022. You are also a Bitcoin and Lightning privacy advocate. You are a developer and a researcher on both of those systems. You've worked at a ton of different startups over the last five years. You focus on decentralized identities, exchange integration, as I said, privacy research, and you are currently working on a new, really novel Lightning wallet called PLN. We're excited to have both of you. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. What's up, guys? Can you hear me all right this time? You sound clear as a bell. <laughs> Great. Yeah, sorry about all the mishaps last time. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all right. I'm just excited we're able to figure it out. You got the better bend, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think we should dive just straight into the most important question. Who is the best Ben on the Council of Bens? And before you answer that, can you iterate on who is on the Council of Bens. The Council of Bens, we're like, you know, the largest group of single named men in Bitcoin. We, I think our council, I can look, it's like over 20 people now. Yeah, we have Wait, 22, actually? Yeah, we have 22 people on the council. So we're a small group and all Bens are fungible though. So there's no leader. There is no best Ben or worst Ben. We're all the same. We're all just Ben. Said like the best Ben. <laughs> Yeah, the, what yeah. Is the best king is the one who's like, I don't want to be a king. Hey, man, Marcus Aurelius didn't want to be king. I rest my case. Oh, yeah. There's a lot going on in the world today. We were just talking about... Actually, before I do that, would you guys add anything to the introduction that I gave both of you? What did I miss? What do we need to make sure that people know before we proceed? I think you need to learn how to spell Tony Giorgio's name. You misspelled it in the tweet as well as in the YouTube description. You misspelled it in like two different ways too. Chris, to you. Chris, you, you misspell it like uh, Marty Van mispronounces it. Chris so it. <laughs> Producer Chris. I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I'm apologizing also, in the chat. No worries. I also in the calendar invite misspelled your name, Ben, which I thought was really funny because of course I know how to spell your name. It's it's just Carman. Uh, no, it's so it's it's Ben the Fraudman now actually. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's too much fraud. Too much fraud in the game of chess. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. It wasn't even fraud. I just showed them a screenshot of my game, and they said I Photoshopped it. I mean, you did. But, you also you told me on the side that you did Photoshop that image. Well, that was a secret, so. There aren't no secrets here. <laughs> Bitcoin is for enemies. Hashtag not your keys, not your coin. As I said, there's a lot going on in the world. There's so much we could talk about. I want to focus the majority of our conversation, as the title would suggest, on privacy in the Bitcoin space and privacy in the Lightning space specifically. Before we dive into 
we get on that rabbit hole too significantly. I want to get your thoughts, if you have any, on what is going on with this tornado cash situation. We were just talking about it in news and notes. What do you guys think? Ben, you're probably more plugged in than I am on this. I thought it was pretty cool. Like when I saw it, I was like, that's badass. Like if you if you can get sanctioned by the US Treasury, like you're probably doing something right, at least on a privacy side. If you're a murderer, like fuck you. But uh, you know, if you're just giving people privacy and you get sanctioned, that's pretty cool. So I, I think like, you know, like Tornado Cash is a pretty good privacy tool. It basically just it's kind of like a centralized mixer, but it operates on as a eat smart contract. So there's like, you know, eat decentralized, but if you assume it's not, then it's a decentralized smart like mixer. So I guess like so it, it was like kind of cool. And then like seeing like GitHub and everything like shut down accounts. So it was like that was like kind of scary, like kind of showing the uh, vulnerabilities of the space there where, you know, we're all kind of trusting these like few, like, you know, that's just Microsoft and, you know, so, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's like kind of scary to see that like, you know, the U.S. is kind of trying to clamp down now on privacy. So maybe that's first because that's an easy one for them to just say like we sanction this, but next they could do like, you know, they could say like all coin joins are sanctioned now or anything like that. So it's something to be wary of and hopefully we can you know, work on different tech to improve that. I, I think on that note too, like there's, there's the aspect of the centralization aspect of it too. Like Ben, Ben is right. Like they're probably doing something right on the privacy side if, if they're actually getting sanctioned, but they're, they're probably really doing something wrong on the, uh, the centralization front too, which is, you know, all, I think all the stable coins getting locked up that were associated with it, the smart contract addresses being put on a list, all all the and then the fact that like Ethereum isn't really decentralized anyways, like all all these things. And there's like no privacy on on Ethereum. Like everyone uses, everyone like boasts their single like pub key, their single address, and it's like, hey, look, look how many tokens I have, and look at you know all these airdrops and everything else. Like it's a Ethereum's a terrible privacy tool in general. So. I think all these things combined, like, yeah, there's some privacy you can get with Tornado and Cash. And I, I haven't looked into the details of it because it's, it's on Ethereum and I don't look at that crap. But just from the centralization point, I mean, you you could, in theory, like, I don't know if you could, you wouldn't be able to, like, put certain, like, the, the code aspect is interesting. Like, the code, the address, the uh, smart contracts are, like, what is what is sanctioned, right? So, like, but that's, like, hosted code somewhere. Like, it's the equivalent of, like, someone has, like, a tour address, like, you know, the Silk Road, and that gets, like, put on a sanction list or, like, gets shut down or, or they, you know, as a target, like, hey, everyone, you know, I know it's on tour, it's a different story, but, like, imagine if it was just, like, you know, www, like, tornadocash.com. Like, that or, like, would, one of those websites that gave us movies, like, 123movies.com. Right. And they can, and they can hide as long as they can, like, and, and Pirate Bay is like still up and running, which is kind of, if you ever listen to Darknet Diaries, like there's a really good, really good, like the founder joined for one of the episodes and talked about the entire like process of Pirate Bay and how they went, how they went about that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things like you can imagine a scenario where like a certain coin join coordinator is actually like, you know, somewhat sanctioned in a way like they, they're put, their tour address is like targeted, like, Hey, everyone, if anyone is associated with this, then, you know, you're somewhat of a bad guy. I mean, actually enforcing is a whole different story, but they can at least make the case of like, Hey, this tour address is a bad address. Like if you're interacting with this and we find it out, then, you know, then you're, then you're also like disobeying sanctions. So yeah, it's all these centralization aspects of uh, you're, you're opening yourselves up for uh, targeting in this way. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty interesting and, and concerning as you guys have pointed out. I wonder 
what was the impetus for this specific sanction? What was the thing that kicked off this specific process? If I were to guess, there's probably North Koreans using it. Um, and they found that out and they're, I don't know if they, I didn't read the reports. I didn't, I wasn't on, not on Twitter. So I don't see what people are chatting about, but like, that's my guess. It's like, I don't think it's, you know, they're just trying to like tackle the, 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 you know, there's people in Ethereum trying to hide for one reason or another. I think it's actually probably a serious thing. I think it's actually like nation states using it probably. Um, and because, you know, North Koreans, they are, they are actually actively trying to, you know, they still funds all the time in the crypto space and they are always trying to look at ways to like launder and ways to like, you know, push that funds and actually sell the stuff that they have. So I would actually think there's probably some serious merit behind it, to be honest. It's just the precedent about putting code, like a smart contract online as a sanctioned person or a sanctioned individual or a sanctioned thing. It's, I think that precedent has never been set before. Yeah, I guess what, what immediately comes to mind is like, what is stopping them from doing this with Bitcoin based, you know, coin joining solutions? And what is the, what's the threshold above which that will become a potential attack vector? I don't think there's an answer, yeah. but. It's like a little weird. Cause like with like this, there's like, you know, like this tornado cast is like an ETH address that like, you know, so like when you make a payment or withdrawal from it to like do the like their version of the coin join, it's like very obvious you're like sending to this address and then sending out in a different one. So like you can definitely sell like this person used Tornado Cash, which is in Bitcoin, there's no just like you sent to this address kind of thing. It's like, you know, I did this coin join. You see a transaction with like 50 inputs and outputs. So it's obviously doing a coin join, but there's no like, they can, like, I mean, they couldn't just ban like no transactions with over 50 outputs or something. So then we just do coin joins with 49 outputs. And so it's not really something like that's like as easily sanctionable in bitcoin which is nice but uh, you know they could still just be like coin joins illegal or something and you know luckily sadly the government you know they, they just make up rules and it's impossible to enforce but then you know you still go to jail and you have to go wait five years until your day in court to actually get free so you know you know we can argue all, all we want we still have to like you know still like get away, get around those rules and stuff and I think the tools aspect of it as well, like they could censor or like say, okay, this coordinator is quote unquote good or bad. But the idea that they can actually like the actual open source tools themselves, like like this tornado cache thing. And again, I haven't looked, looked at it deeply, but like it probably doesn't work if it wasn't just like published code on the Ethereum smart contract, right? But like as we start using like more open source tools, like that's a little bit of a different story. Like in general, they don't need to be hosted somewhere. It's not like code on the internet. It, ideally, it's just code that's locally on your computer. And then, you know, I, I know like join markets a little, I think it's a little bit more distributed or decentralized where there's not like a central coordinator. And there's other things you can do in the decentralized coordinator space, like actual real decentralization, not, not Ethereum. So I think like with better tools and, and more like open source client side tools, I think, it, it, I don't think you can just sanction unhosted code i know the word unhosted is kind of a <laughs> unhosted wallet is kind of a, a debate of that topic but it literally is just like code on your computer like how do you it's like the sanctions on on, on cryptography like how you know actually saying like you can't export these like cryptography specific cryptography implementations but like people would put it on a shirt and it would just be code and they would hop on the airplane and go across seas like how do you actually enforce that how do you actually stop that if it's just if it's literally just code, there's a difference between it being hosted and it being on your machine. But if it's literally just like code on your machine, like that's there's there's nothing you can really do to stop that. 
what what happens in a scenario where it's found that to your point, Tony, like they can't stop code. There's nothing like no government entity can actually stop the running of code from all walks of life. So over time, as more of these examples start to pop up, we were just discussing earlier how Iran apparently made $10 million in a digital payment of some sort of cryptocurrency. We're still trying to figure out which cryptocurrency that was due in large part because they've been under sanctions for 50 plus years. Like what happens when more and more people realize like, Hey, this, this just works and there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, that's been the reality for years and the government still hasn't realized it. So, I mean, as I mean, maybe when we, you know, Nancy Pelosi dies when you get some new people in the office, maybe that'll happen, but still like, I think this is like a lot of things that just like humans in general haven't realized that, you know, like when you tell people about Bitcoin and they'll be like, Oh, the government will stop that. I'm like, no, they literally can't like, this is impossible. So like just most of humans haven't realized like the power that like computers give us. Cause the average the human just kind of sees it as like, Oh, I have, you know, an iPhone and it lets me browse Twitter, but people don't realize like kind of the level of power this can give you and it, like it em em emboldens humans and gives them freedom. So I want to shift us slightly. We've been, we've been using the terms, you know, coin join, both within the context of tornado cash and also lightning. Let's take a step back. Can you guys define for the audience what a coin join is and why it's important? And then let's shift over to what a lightning coin join is and how that works. So, I mean, basically like a coin join, it, it's pretty simple. Like, so imagine like me and Tony both want to send a transaction instead of me doing a transaction and Tony doing a transaction, we do one transaction together. That's basically the concept. And then you just extrapolate that out. So like, instead of like two people, you could have like a hundred people. And uh, the reason is basically like this transaction, you know, if we do them individually, now they look like two separate transactions and like, you know, my address is tied to me, his address is tied to him. So they can see like, oh, this is Ben's transaction. He's sending to address A. You can see Tony's transaction, he's sending to address B. And, you know, it's not the best. So the, the idea of a coin join is basically just do that in the same transaction. And now they see that me and Tony are in the same transaction, but it, they don't know who owns the, the addresses going out. So that's kind of the idea. And then you can extract this out to like 100 people. So it gets extremely hard because it's hard to calculate who's doing it. Like in that two-person case, it's like you know, a 50-50 of which address is whose. It was 100. Now it's like one in 100. It gets really hard. And this kind of just lets you like give you more and more privacy. And then you can kind of like compound these. So like if you do like multiple coin joins in a row, and then you're like, you know, getting exponential increases in your privacy and stuff like that. So that's kind of the idea. And like today it exists mostly in Wasabi and Whirlpool and then join market as well. Those are kind of the traditional ways people use it in Bitcoin. And I don't know, I guess that's all I have to add there. Tony, would you add anything to that? No, I think, I think that was pretty good. And then, yeah, on the aspect of like coin joining and lightning and what you can kind of do there, it's a little bit more advanced and we haven't, we haven't seen like the, uh, the exact potential that we can get out of it. But like Carmen's been working on Vortex for a little while now as like one way to do coin joins. It's basically like collaborative open channel. So it's like you open a lightning channel, but you also open everyone else piles in too. And they all open lightning channels to whoever their node is that they're opening, but they all kind of collaborate together on that. So it kind of just looks like one big, one big like 
you know, coin join transaction, but it's actually like a whole bunch of channel opens happening at the same time. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that on more on that, Ben, but that, that I think that suggests. Yeah, that's really good. The only thing I would add is like today it's okay because like right now when you open a lightning channel, it's very obvious on chain that this is like not a normal address. It's like pay to witness script hash. So it looks like something that's not like something I would normally receive to, but with Taproot, everything will look the same. A normal address versus a lightning channel look the same on chain. So then you could have these coin joins where some people are sending to like, you know, making a payment. Some of them are coin joining to themselves to give themselves privacy. And some people are opening a lightning channel. So you could all have this in a single transaction that looks like very uniform, but it's all these different use cases are being covered. So it lets you get like a lot more privacy in that regard. And I believe Ben, you said that LND is, is coming out with that. I think in the next major release, like being able to open Taproot, these Taproot channels. That's what I was told. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be public, but I guess it is now. <laughs> Here, let me do like a super late, you know, censorship beep just to, there we go. It was beeped out. Don't even, don't even trip dog. And, and the reason like, that this is, if, if I can go back on that comment too, just to elaborate on like why it's important to be doing this. Like you, you brought up like P2WSH transactions that they kind of look really unique to like a lightning channel or like a multi-sig in general. And then when you spend, when you actually spend out of that transaction, you reveal the script. So you reveal some of the uniqueness of it. So like if it's the two or two multi-sig, which is, you know, lightning transactions, lightning opens, they actually are, you can actually kind of estimate of whether or not that was like a lightning channel or not. And I did some work on probing unannounced channels by just monitoring the on-chain transactions that are P2WSH transactions. So there's like 900,000 P2WSH transactions and I can actually go through and like probe and try to find all these hidden channels on Lightning. And I, I think I've gotten up to 100 Bitcoin worth of transactions or sorry, 100, yeah, 100 Bitcoin worth of channel opens. So like we all when we look at the Lightning Explorer, we can see like, oh, it has this much capacity and this this many nodes and stuff like that. But that's that's just what we publicly see. There's this whole like, you know, hidden side of it. You can think of it like a, uh, an iceberg. There's this whole hidden side of lightning that you, can act, you can't actually see very easily. So like some of the work I'm doing right now, you can go to hiddenlightningnetwork.com to go to the GitHub repo where I'm actually doing this. And some of the results are there. And it's like 100, 100 Bitcoin, I think so far, like 10,000 channels that I've found that are like actual, they call them private channels, but they're, they're, not, they're not that private. So you can actually like just using on-chain data to like, the Lightning is almost privacy-wise. It's it's there's a lot of privacy benefits to Lightning, but then there's all these things that inherits from Bitcoin and Bitcoin's lack of, of privacy, and that includes for now like you know P2WSH channel opens. So like yeah, it'll get better when we can actually get Taproot opens, and then there's some improvements also coming down the pipeline and some that have already implemented that kind of help. But yeah, so, you know Lightning kind of inherits some of Bitcoin's lack of privacy. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. I just want to let you know that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale now. The largest Bitcoin conference in Europe will take place from October 12th to 14th. More details can be found at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Amsterdam tickets today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. And I just want to take a step back for the audience. 
When we're talking about the Lightning Network, the Lightning Network is a layer two technology on top of Bitcoin's layer one technology, right? So you've got this incredibly robust layer one, which is Bitcoin on-chain transactions. And then the Lightning Network sits on top of that, so to speak. And it is a protocol that allows us to, you know, send Bitcoin payments very, very rapidly and currently essentially for no fees. And so when we talk about systems that, uh, you know, when somebody's like, oh, you know, you can't buy a coffee with Bitcoin, that's bullshit for other reasons, but you can do it very rapidly and you can settle it very rapidly using the Lightning Network. And, you know, at a, at a topological level, you basically have nodes in the Lightning Network. And, you know, if I have a Lightning node and, you know, Tony has one and Ben has one and Q has one, I don't have to be, none of us have to be directly connected to each other in order to be able to send payments send Bitcoin through the Lightning Network to each other. So if I have a channel to Q, Q has a channel to Tony, and Tony has a channel to Ben, I can send payments to Ben simply by basically a payment gets sent to Q, Q then sends that payment to Tony, Tony then sends that payment to Ben, and there we go. And so there are public channels which can be used to route payments throughout the network, and then there's private channels. And what Tony is talking about is figuring out where private channels are based on the the transaction type, the signature type, which is the more correct term there, Tony? Yeah, transaction type. The transaction type that is specific to the opening or closing of lightning channels because you have to make an on-chain transaction when you open that initial that initial lightning channel. And then that channel gets reused over and over and over again to sort of route these payments back and forth through the lightning network. The cool thing is like if you actually know of a, of a of a private channel of an unannounced channel that exists, you can route through that too. It's just like there's a lot of private channels and and the main one that I was probing to figure out, you know, who actually has unannounced channels, async, which async has Phoenix, they're like LSP, they're Lightning service provider. So they have this wallet that like kind of makes it easy for people to like onboard to Lightning and a lot of mobile phones won't you know, in the typical Lightning node, you would want that to be like always online. That way you could not only just route payments, but also you need to occasionally come online to make sure that, you know, the base layer Bitcoin's okay, right? Because it, it operates on the second level, but you need to like come online every now and then to make sure that your channel partner isn't trying to cheat you. There's some on-chain transaction checking that it has to do. We don't have to dive too much into those details, but you should come online every now and then. But mobile phones, you know, aren't online all the time. So LSPs typically come in to help that and they will open unannounced channels. So you typically mobile phones will be unannounced unannounced channels because they're not online all the time. So if you if you were to broadcast, oh, this is a public channel, people may try to route through it and it'd just be a bad experience for, for routing in general because like that node's going to be down. So like as you are, as you're sending on Lightning and as P described it, like hops from one person to another person. If I was offline at that scenario and P sends it to Q, and Q tries to send it to me to get it to, to Ben. It, like if I'm offline, then that payment fails. And luckily, the Lightning Network is like distributed enough where you can try many different payments. There's like you know 20k nodes or something like that right now. So there's a lot of paths that exist. But with each failed path, it's like time that you have to spend trying another path. If a payment gets stuck, that's pretty. That's a shitty experience as well. But I, I, I forget whether I bring, bring that up. Oh, just being offline in general. You know, there's there's some there's some reasons there. I just changed the title to the Bitcoin Lightning Network Cures Cancer, which I think is not an extrap, you know, not a, it's a true statement is what I'm trying Good. to say. Trust the science. You gotta, if you got to pay your doctor really fast and to get your right. cancer, you know. Right. It also saves Christmas. So Bitcoin fixes everything. 
<laughs> That's right. Specifically the lightning network. Interesting. Okay. So we're, so we're, why does it become useful, Tony, to probe all these channels? Like what, is that important from an, the perspective of improving lightning network privacy overall? Does it provide economic advantage to people that have that information? What's the impetus for you trying to figure out where these unannounced, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if we're saying unannounced channel is the same as a private channel, it's just a channel that is not broadcast through the gossip protocols, all right? Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to make sure that term is used more than private because when you say something's private and it's it's not, then it it people think they're getting some privacy that they're not actually getting. But going back to what you kind of asked here, there's there's a few reasons to to actually do this. For one, it it provides me no benefits doing this. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort. I'm not gaining anything from this except maybe a little bit of clout. I I'm really just doing that for two two reasons. One, to highlight the fact that this is a concern that these private channels aren't private and you know, I came out with an article earlier, I guess about a year ago, and someone had asked in, in the comments, you know, I don't, I have no idea where to go to about like learning about privacy on Lightning. I came out with this article, it's abitesjourney.com slash lightning dash privacy. And I try to like educate as much as I can there. But the gist of it is like, you know, I came out with that post and people are still like, you know, opening private channels and saying that they're private or like thinking that they're safe and like, oh, wait, there's private in the name. You know, I can just like use any UTXO that I want. And the reality is, you know, that information could be, you know, leaked out. And so I'm actually going through the effort of leaking it out to raise awareness and, and all of it's open source. And I'm, I'm publishing all the data because like chain analytics could be doing this right now. And in fact, they've already said that they're doing some sort of lightning solution i don't know if anyone's like figured out what lightning chain analytics solution that they've come up with or how they're doing it i have suspicions but it's just to raise awareness really that's and then the other thing is like you know i could also <laughs> gather this analytics too and publish them and so we can actually get a better understanding of how many how many lightning channels do actually exist there's some analytics that can be gathered here just to kind of like everyone just hand waves oh we've We've had, uh, you know, this many Bitcoin locked up on Lightning. And then we say, oh, but we can't see private channels. And it's like, well, that's that's true. But this could kind of help us figure out a little bit more of that, you know, what's under the tip of the iceberg. Got it. Got it. I think something to highlight, too, is this is like something that's like now I like kind of fixed where the, like, cause the way he's doing is finding like all these outputs on in, in Bitcoin that look like a potential Lightning channel and then trying to see if they are. And because uh, the, the way you like route a payment is like through this channel ID. And that's just derived from like looking at that like transaction. But now they change this. So for these unannounced channels that that channel ID is just a random number. It doesn't need to be tied to, tra to the transaction. So now it'd take them like, you know, a billion years to be able to guess the correct channel ID to try to route the payment. So it's not really doable anymore if like everyone upgrades these channels to these new types of unannounced channels. Got it. Yeah, it would, it would. Everyone would have to close all of their unannounced channels right now to get a benefit of it. But I think LND, I think they've just merged it. LDK had just merged it. I think a few other people are, are about to. So soon, everyone will will support that. And then, and then it's you know someone had asked me the other day. Okay, now if we can get this, like they're calling it short channel ID alias. It's also named zero comp channels. It's just the same. There's like two features you know, uh, that are binded together. Someone asked me like, oh, if we get that, then does that, would you say like private channels are now private again? Like, and I haven't, I haven't thought too deeply at that. It's, it's, it's at least more 
private and I think no one can guess what UTXO you're opening with. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more private. You still leak it out. You still leak out that there's some, you know, channels there when you, you whenever you open it, but they won't be able to see what your UTXO is. So like I'm only your channel partner sees that, of course, and they have to, they have to see that. So like in theory, they can tell the whole world about this like private channel between you and, and the other person. So uh, you're kind of trusting your channel partner not to be a bad actor. And I know I keep yeah. dragging it since I know oh, I keep this, dragging it. <laughs> Go ahead. <sorry. laughs> Go this is it. where like the coin joins come really powerful. Cause if you just like open that channel to your, to that peer, like they could just like tweet it out. Like, Oh, Ben Carmen just opened a private channel to me with this transaction and now I'm screwed. But I could, if I use coin join in that, either that channel open or previously before I opened that channel, now he won't know my actual like, previous addresses that I owned and like get my wallet cluster from that. So it could like help your privacy as well, where instead of like just being like, here's like, you have like a 10 Bitcoin UTXO and open a channel with it. Now everyone, you can like tweet it out and be like, Ben Karma knows 10 Bitcoin versus like coin join. He just, he can't see like what my previous history is and you, know, you have better privacy there. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to take a step back and like reiterate for the people that are listening. I'm assuming everybody already knows this, but the, one of the main reasons these technologies are so important you know, you, you'll hear these inane, you know, counter statements thrown out like, well, if you aren't doing anything bad, then you don't have anything, anything to hide. But the reality is when this, when it is possible for people to collect this type of information on how money is being used, people will collect it. And then even if those people are, you know, good actors currently, that information is very, very likely to eventually, at some point in the future, get hacked or leaked or collected by, as I said, other parties that you that shouldn't have access to it. And then when people become, you know, for whatever reason, undesirables or a specific type of financial transaction, which is like a human right and everybody should be able to transact freely, when those become considered bad things for political reasons, if that data is available, those people will be sanctioned. And it is incredibly naive to think that this doesn't affect us in the United States because we live in, you know, the best country in the world, which is something that, you know, is, is up for grabs. I mean, we're certainly currently the, one of the, if not the world superpower, we have the world reserve currency, but we may not exist in that world for much longer. Yep. And, uh, and on that note, like, you know, laws, laws change things that you've done that is legal today could be illegal tomorrow. Cancel culture is a thing. I mean, even just like looking back at like all the shit we would laugh at in, you know, in, in the 2000s and now co comedians are like getting in trouble for a tweet they made in 2005. Like this, it's, it's all like bullshit cancel culture. It's all bullshit. Like just, just, just like you think you, you think you don't need some of this privacy until you actually do. But then at that point it's too late. You're muted, P. So I'll take that opportunity to just also, you know, paint that picture. Everything P described happened in Canada, where everyone a year ago to this date felt the way a lot of us in America feel. So that's my contribution. Back to you, P. No, I was just gonna say, like, where should we go in this conversation from here? There's a number of other things that I want to I want to dive into. I want to talk about PLN and the work that you're doing there, Tony. As I said, I'd love to talk a little bit about your privacy research grant. Should we start with PLN and then transition over to the privacy research grant, or go the other way around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we can do that. Yeah, one of the things it, it was a hackathon in Austin about a month or two ago that me and Paul Miller started working on a Lightning Wallet. We called PLN. We're gonna change the name. We'll we'll 
save the grand name change for like the release day. But we'll, we'll be changing that name, but it's essentially like a, a Lightning wallet that focuses on the privacy aspect. So like Lightning does have a lot of good privacy features like kind of built into it, but it all depends on how people use it. So if no one's actually utilizing all these privacy features or they're or there's these foot guns that kind of get in the way that like, you know, and I, I wrote about it in that article I mentioned earlier, but like, it's, it's like a 30 minute read. <laughs> and then, you, you know, you read it and you're like, holy shit, like, how do I actually do all the things that this article suggests? And like, I don't even do that shit. Like, it's just, it's just too hard to practically and reasonably implement, uh, utilize lightning in the most private way without, without having like holes in it. So this wallet's specifically designed to just implement all the privacy features. Like you don't have to think about it. Funny tagline that will change. It's just don't worry about it. But it's, I mean, it's all going to be open source. It's all going to be out there. But, you know, we're kind of utilizing the most privacy features. And we're even going to develop like what we're calling like the threat model and API. Basically like a warning of like, okay, if you try to do something and it's not, it's not, you're going to leak some privacy, then it like warns you, okay, hey, you know, here are the trade-offs of doing this specific thing. Like you can go ahead, but here's where, like, do you trust this other person? Like, you know, here's where your privacy could be leaked in the general. Like, and one of the things the wallet does not do for privacy reasons right now is receive. Because uh, receiving on Lightning is is not private at all. You you leak out the node that you're using, and then from there you leak out the UTXOs that are involved in it, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Until we actually get route blinding, receiving on Lightning is not going to be very private. Sending is, is a lot more private. It's not perfect, but it's a lot it's a lot better. So in general, like this wallet is, it, and and even when we get route blinding, it's going to be up to like wallet implementations and everyone to actually use that as the default method, right? Like we want privacy to be the default method and we don't want people to you know so often go outside of that you know we're trying to create this like fence that protects the user but you know while still giving the options to educate the user and leave those fences if they wanted to so yeah so even when we get route blind and other things like it, it'll depend on people specific wallets implementing it doing it the right way and things like that so like this wallet has kind of been built from the ground up to just make sure that your privacy is always like the default option. I think you're muted again. Oh my God. All right. I think it's so important because when we talk about, you know, building these tools, one of the things in Bitcoin that has historically been a challenge is the user experience has been, has been difficult for, for novice users to really, or people that are new to it, to really dive in and be able to understand what's going on. And so I'm really, really excited about this new and it's, it's been happening for a while, but these this new generation of, of tools that really, really effectively, I don't even want to say like have breadcrumbs, but they, they, they find the balance between presenting users with just enough information that they're able to interact with them effectively, but then create these little breadcrumbs that empower them as they're using the tool normally to be able to learn more and more. I think Sparrow, we, we spoke with, with Craig Raw recently, and you know... Sparrow, I think, does a really, really good job of this. You can use the tool, that's Sparrow Wallet, which is a desktop wallet, of course. You can use the tool without understanding too much about how Bitcoin works, but it has these really interesting, you know, graphics and like tool tips and everything that slowly guide you. They present enough information that if you're curious, you'll kind of like figure out what's going on. And then they, at the same time, guide you towards improving your privacy and using Bitcoin more effectively. So super excited to see what you guys put out as you, as you build more on top of it. What do you think, Ben? I mean, you are, you're part of 
or, or what, what is your actual title at the Bitcoin company? The second coolest I, name company in Bitcoin. HR. <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what our, I don't even know what my actual title is. I mean, I'm, I'm our only back engineer, so lead back engineer, I guess. But yeah, I mean, there we do lots of uh, you know, selling gift cards and stuff and trying to like, help people live on their Bitcoin and preferably as private as possible. So like we, right now we only accept lightning. We are adding credit cards and stuff soon for the normies, but it's cool. We see like a lot of people like trying to use um, the product to like live on Bitcoin and, or just even help their privacy where we sell these like Visa cards um, for Bitcoin. So we get a lot of people like, you know, either just like using that to like, you know, unbank themselves in, in different parts of the world. Like we have a lot of Brazilian users I know that they'll use that and just like, you know, go shopping instead of, Doxing themselves with their credit card every time or just, you know, letting themselves spend their Bitcoin as well in the U.S. Like, you know, I don't want to if I'm do going to like, you know, go to a taco shop near me, I, I can swipe my credit card. And now my bank sees that I shop there. My they know my location by that. My and then that that taco shop will now know my name and stuff like that, which is, you know, not always the best. So I can, you know, buy a Visa card and then swipe that. And now there's no information tied to me on that. So it, it helps a lot there. Got it. And that is the bitcoincompany.com, correctly? Or correct rather? Yeah. 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 Got it. What are some of the the largest, like the, the largest challenges that you guys have faced or that you specifically, you know, working on the back end have faced as you've built out that financial product? Oh, also, I just want to give you guys props. The Bitcoin company won, there were three different categories for pitch day at Bitcoin 2022. And the Bitcoin company won one of them. And the, the trophy that you guys got was about like seven feet tall. It was fucking enormous. And you looked amazing and hilarious hanging out by it. So congrats. Yeah, we, we have it in our apartment now. We need to build it back again, but it's, it's deconstructed in here. We had to take it on the plane, but yeah. But yeah. The hardest part probably with the, the company has actually just been like dealing with the legal regulatory and like different partners, like Early on, we got deplatformed by like an email like marketing provider because we had anything to do with crypto. So we had like panic to find a new one. And this as well, just like so many times we're like, you know, we like we wanted to sell like TJ Maxx gift cards and they denied us because we had were something to do with crypto, or you know, just other brands. Just like oh, we don't do that. But otherwise, it's you know just like dealing with like regulatory stuff too, where our compliance officers always mad at us like oh, you need to like. You know, what if you sell a gift card to the Vladimir Putin? It's like, well, I mean, personally, I don't think that's bad, but, you know, that's the endless and no fact stuff exists. So we shouldn't do that. So there's lots of stuff like that that is annoying to deal with. But otherwise, it's, it's kind of cool to like talk to these gift card companies where they're like, because normally when you sell a digital gift card, there's it's like extremely high risk where, you know, like, you know, if I want to pay, do a credit card payment for a Target gift card, the you're going to get tons of fraud where I get that gift card immediately, but I could just charge back the credit card payment. Now I just stole like, you know, a thousand dollars from that company. But with Bitcoin, you don't have to deal with that at all. With You instantly set a payment with lightning and there's no fraud risk. So like when we talk to these gift card companies a lot, like, oh, we'd like to sell, you know, new provider, get a bunch of new brands in. They're like, oh, how do you deal with fraud? How do you do like an online marketplace for this? They're like, oh, we just use Bitcoin. And they're like, oh, that's, really smart and it's cool to see like a lot of these people get a little bit of like an eye-opening moment there yeah i think you you've touched on something which i think is an interesting pattern that's that's playing out in the in the bitcoin development space which is 
a lot of people, you know, they, they start by asking like, Hey, what can I do with Bitcoin? Right. It's sort of like, I want to build on top of Bitcoin. I want to, I want to take something that exists already and then re-implement it, but involve Bitcoin. And the most successful products and services that are out there are using Bitcoin in a very different way. And I think I, I, I want to try to figure out how to encourage more people to do this, which is that it's identifying things that Bitcoin and the Lightning Network solve better than anything else, and then building systems that can more effectively leverage those things in order to outcompete, you know, the larger market. And I don't know, I just feel like we're seeing more and more. I don't know, what do you guys think? There's there's something I really love about the service the Bitcoin company and, and others have provided when it comes to gift cards. Like, like I, you know, I don't 100% live on Bitcoin yet. Like, you know, surprise, like most people aren't on the... On the hundred percent in, right? There, it's like usually at most like ninety nine percent and have a little bit of cash. But the thing I love the most about using the Bitcoin company is just so I can buy like this anonymously buy a a gift card and use that like a Visa gift card and use that anywhere online. So that way you you know you hear of these leaks and these hacks happening all the time with every company that exists right and every single time that happens is like oh your credit card information gets leaked like this gets leaked your your email address gets leaked all this is just getting leaked left and right your ip addresses everything right so it's like one of the things that i love doing is just like using especially lightning too since like senders have pretty good privacy you know i can pay for a gift card visa gift card with lightning i have some like anonymous account when the bitcoin company had allowed allowance accounts i think they got rid of that so vladimir putin couldn't sign up with it vladimir putin at gmail.com or something so i I bought i buy visa international gift cards all the time even as an american i know i'm not supposed to with their app but that's you know it's a great it's a great use i mean i can pay for shit online anywhere in the world with a visa card not tied to my name i'm using email addresses that aren't tied to me and just like spin it up a new one every time so it's like it's it's a perfect use case for privacy because you can be compatible with the financial rails at the same time you know, it doesn't connect your source of funds. It doesn't connect your identity. It doesn't connect any of those things. When you're almost using them as a proxy to kind of like spend the money in the way that you want to spend your money without all the trade-offs of the privacy financial rails. I know I probably have said like five crimes there, but like that's that's why I love these are all uh, those apps. These are theoretical, theoretical. Yeah, yeah, in Minecraft. I do this stuff in Minecraft. Exactly. Tony, this is a great time to let you know that actually we have on from reliable sources that both Nancy Pelosi as well as Mitch McConnell watch us every day. They stop awesome. what they're they doing it. themselves. <laughs> exactly. So what else? What have you guys been spending a lot of time thinking about when you guys are hanging out together? What are the what what are Bitcoin-related topics, specifically, of course, related to the Lightning Network, that uh, have got either of you excited right now. And me and Tony have been doing this like Lightning Privacy Research Grant for a few months now. I'm not sure how long, but it's been a ton of fun. Just like kind of like we've been like we do like a weekly call, and then we like a lot of times we'll bring in a guest and be like, oh, T-Bass come talk us, teach us about Blinded Pass, or we had Rusty Russell come and talk to us about. Bolt 12 and um, other stuff, or we talked about trampoline routing, or we had like Dustin talk about splicing, just kind of get a bunch of like ideas flowing. And it's been a lot of fun. Like we're now working on like, you know, trying to write a whole set of like articles about everything we've learned and like kind of call to action to people as well. But I think that's kind of like what we probably spend most of our free time doing, or at least personally me. And I think that's a ton of fun. I don't know, I hope, I'm excited to share it all. Like once we have the huge like writings of everything. 
Can you tell us more about that grant? Like, what is it? Where did it come from? How did you guys get it? Yeah, so the, the grant is done by Wasabi as well as a, it was like another nonprofit partnered with them as, as well. And basically like Wasabi was like, their theory is like, you know, on-chain privacy can be solved through their wallet, but lightning privacy is still something to work on. So we should, you know, try to fund development to fix that. So, you know, because in Bitcoin, we kind of, Theorize that Lightning will be like the future of payments and the scalability solution for Bitcoin. So if we're going to use Lightning, we need to like make it private as possible. So we've been just kind of iterating ideas and trying to make it better. And, you know, we've, a lot of the ideas are like things we've pulled in just from the community that are already known, but some ideas we've been talking about are like less discussed things or just ways to like merge things that we, we don't think have been thought of before things like like something that like Tony came up with is like, oh, what if we had like every channel on the Lightning Network always in a coin join through splicing and stuff like that. So we could like, you know, always be moving this channel around so that you can't even find it, you know, from a bad actor and stuff. You're going to have to define the term splicing. So splicing is like pretty cool. So like today with the Lightning Channel, you know, you have it open with like, say, have a Lightning Channel open to UP and we have like one Bitcoin in it. But I want to make it, I want to close that is it. That's a and girthy like, fucking lightning yeah, channel. Yeah, girthy boy. But I know this is too much girth for you. I'm gonna, I want to make it half a channel, go easy on you. So, or half a Bitcoin. So it's, it, normally what you'd have to do is just close the entire channel and then open a new one. And that takes two on-chain transactions. And that channel is now offline for like that time period of while that transaction is confirming. So a splice basically just lets you in the one transaction just kind of like change that lightning channel so we can like change it to be half a bitcoin we can balance it in the way we want and you know we're able to just basically just redefine the channel terms while keeping it online only in a single transaction and you can do this with many channels like you could just have like one channel that we're changing or we could have 100 channels that not just us but anyone on the Lightning network is changing so we could combine all these things into like make it a more private thing and uh, it's really cool because it really like Splicing on its own is very powerful, just like without any privacy aspects, just letting you renegotiate these channel sizes. So you don't need to like rebalance or, you know, a lot of times people use things like loop in or out to like rebalance and you pay all these routing fees. Instead, you could just pay a single on-chain transaction fee and just, you know, fund it with an input and be able to change the balance of these channels versus splicing. We just do this and it makes it much cleaner. I know only C Lightning or Core Lightning is working on it right now. But uh, it would be awesome to see if it does come to like the full dream where we could get the, the coin joins and implemented and everything too with it. Yeah, because imagine imagine the aspect of like, you know, lightning, what, what's the current numbers? Like, I don't know, there's there's like hundreds of millions of dollars locked up in lightning channels, right? And they're they're all being used to route on lightning. But imagine if at the same time they're providing to liquidity for for coin join solutions so you know you have you could be like collecting routing fees at the same time contributing to the coin join and on set at the same time so like i think it's like really powerful um, there's still a lot of like things to, to figure out and actually like how would this be implemented like we don't even have splicing yet like you know all these like answered questions but just just like just in theory like imagine that you have you know, these unannounced channels and you're even like you hid, you hide them behind a public channel and then you're still even routing and coin joining and maybe even collecting coin join fees on top of it too. So I think there's, I think there's something there that's pretty powerful because like, you know, Lightning as a network, you know, like I said, there's some privacy gains too. So like, what if we combine the two, like coin joining and private and, uh, and Lightning privacy at the same time? I think that's pretty powerful. Got it. Got it. So 
shifting slightly. Did you guys, have either of you read this article that came out a couple days ago? It's Mass Exit Attacks and the Lightning Network. It was published no. by, let's see, University of Illinois. No, no, I must have missed that one. Yeah, All right. I won't dive into it then. I was going to, I was going to get your, well, yeah, no, if you read anything on it, you bring it up, we probably don't know some things on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so they, they talk about, they said, we study the susceptibility of the lightning network to mass exit attacks in the presence of small coalition of adversarial nodes. It's a scenario where an adversary forces a large set of honest protocol participants to interact with, you know, the layer one blockchain. We focus on two types of attacks. The first is a zombie attack. And then the second is a double spend attack. And they kind of go through and there's, they, I think that their conclusion is that they say under historically plausible congestion conditions, a very small coalition, for example, a coalition of just 30 nodes could lock funds of 31% of the channels for about two months via a zombie attack and could potentially steal more than 750 BTC via a mass double spend attack if the watchtower algorithm did not make use of sophisticated strategies. And as I was reading through it, it just seemed like there were a ton of assumptions that were being made. Yeah, this, this sounds similar to like the flood and loot attack kind of paper where basically like if you mass, like mempool's full and you mass close a ton of channels, now people need to broadcast the correct state so they can get their money back. And if they the, the attacker just broadcasts like the invalid state where they get all the money, then you could be screwed. But um you know, this is like, it does take a lot of assumptions. Like the mempool needs to be completely full for that two week window that you can't get your transaction in. And you can't, and then also assuming you can't bump the fee of your closing transaction and all this stuff. So, you know, it's pretty, yeah, it's a lot of assumptions. Like you said, it's pretty, and you know, today like mempool is pretty empty, so it's not totally doable. But, you know, if it was like a disaster scenario or like, you know, like when China banned uh, mining and the mempool is like 200 sats per byte, Maybe it's like something this is feasible, but you know, it's going to take a pretty sophisticated actor to try to do that. And yeah. But even, oh, sorry. Uh, even, even if they like actually go through and like close enough channels to make sure that they do flood the mempool, actually, like it is, you know, you can, everyone can be bumping up their transaction until, until they, until they can't bump up anymore, but everyone will be racing to bump up their transaction because anchor, anchor, anchor channels are supposed to like help solve the unpredictable fee aspect of it. So you can bump up your channel close, but if everyone's doing it, then not everyone's going to be able to get in. That's, that's a really interesting paper. I gotta, gotta read it to understand it more, but I, I believe it. Yeah. I'll send it over to you guys. This thing too, it has like humongous risks. Like if they do it and fail, they lose all the money they, they put up in those channels because if I'm able to broadcast that correct state, I take back all the money from their side of the channel. So they lose all their money if they do this. So it's an extremely risky thing to try to do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my favorite term in the lighting, flood and loot sounds like a badass attack. It's like the name of a some kind of like a... Uh, it's a great like a band James name. Bond movie. Yeah, 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 flood and loot. The flood and loot attack. And then also just when using watchtowers, the, the justice transaction is an incredibly badass sounding thing. And just for everyone listening, one of the, 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 I don't know what to say, the sort of mitigation strategies that we can use in the lightning network is you have another node that basically is watching the channel state for your nodes. 
And basically, if anyone, if your node goes down for any reason and someone tries to cheat you by publishing a, a false channel state, then the what normally what would happen is your node, if when it's online, it would basically publish, you know, the true channel state. And then the person who's trying to cheat you would lose their funds. But if for some reason your node is offline and you have a watchtower watching it, then the watchtower can publish the justice transaction. And so if anybody tries to cheat you, there's this really strong incentive to not do that because if they try and they fail, or if the person has a watchtower, then, or rather they have a watchtower and they fail, they then lose all their funds to what uh, I think I was referencing a second ago, or Tony. Yep. And there's this kind of joke that I like to say is I like to say, oh yeah, watchtower. No, I don't, I don't have a watchtower so oh man my node's down oh man well it would really suck if someone were to try to attack me right now right like no one knows if i actually have a watchtower or not so like i say i don't have a watchtower and if uh -huh. everyone everyone's like oh let me go let me go steal tony's funds his node is down i'm like oh joke's on you actually <laughs> like and that and you know that mechanism you know the justice transaction that's like kind of also called like ln penalty like the mechanism that lightning operates on so like if we if i say if because you know who, who knows when this is actually going to happen but you know we're supposed to be getting l2 at some point in our lives right e l t o o and like that actually removes the ln penalty mechanism the, the justice transaction i think there's still there's i don't know if they call it the justice transaction or not anymore there's still this just transaction where you can get the funds back but it's not it's not justice in the terms of like you take all the bad actors funds so there could be a mechanism or like this this opportunity almost for bad actors under l2 to just go ahead and try to try to like scam people and it's not actually going to hurt them in any way like worst case scenario they paid channel closing fees and like how much are you willing to spend to attempt to steal someone else's funds you know, so in the current mechanism, you actually have to risk all the funds that you may be gaining, you know, so it's like a 100% loss on your end. But if it's just like a, you know, worst case scenario, 0.1% loss, you know, how much are you willing to spend to scam? Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that about L2. Um, I think you're right, by the way. I don't think it's called the justice transaction anymore, but I, I, will, always, uh, yeah. <laughs> I will always refer to it as the justice transaction. And, and, one of the things that I really like about, I mean, I, I, I rail about this a lot on the show, but the, one of the things that is so compelling to me about Bitcoin is the incentive structures that are in place. You know, famed cryptkeeper and necromancer Charlie Munger is famous for saying, you know, you show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. And in Bitcoin, in layer one Bitcoin, the incentive structures that are in place are such that, you know, you, the thing that is best for an individual also supports the larger network, you know, overall. And the Lightning Network to me is like a microcosm of that. It's like the same kind of things that are happening, but sped up almost. And, you know, I was one of the people that got together and started PlebNet. And one of the things that we found, or that I personally found is, you know, it was like, I was talking about this with, um, with the other Ben recently, but it's almost like playing a real-time strategy game, right? You're basically, you know, if you choose to, if you choose to be a crazy person and run your own Lightning node, which is like, everybody can just use a Lightning network right now by going and downloading a wallet that supports the Lightning network and can be sending and receiving transactions almost instantly for very low fees. So you can do that today. You don't have to understand any of the stuff we're talking about. You can just, you know, take advantage of it and get access to the benefits. 
Then there's like, you know, merchants who want to be accepting lightning payments and they want to be able to do that in a way where they don't want to use a third party app like Breeze. They want to basically run a node so that they can receive payments. And then at the other, you know, the extreme end, there's people who are interested in running their own lightning node so that they can learn about how it works and potentially earn fees by being a routing node. So the way the lightning network works is as you, uh, as your node is positioned within the lightning network effectively, um, people will route through you. And every time they do, you earn a base fee. And then you also earn a, a fee based on, uh, the amount of SATs, the total amount that flows through your node, you know, for each transaction. And so it becomes this like, you know, real-time strategy game, like Starcraft almost, where you're like trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to set my channel fees here to incentivize people to route in this direction. And then I'm going to set it lower over here in order to, you know, incentivize it to route in this direction. And, you know, you were just mentioning, Tony, you know, the idea of being like, oh no, my node is down. If only someone would be kind and, you know, and then basically they try to attack you and then you steal all the funds back. And uh, yeah, it's incredibly, it's incredibly engaging. There's Lisa has talked about it before, Nifty, Nifty Nye, about this idea that you could kind of almost recreate some of that. What is it called? The ME, MEX, ME, MEV. Oh, minor extracted value. Yeah, minor extracted <laughs> value stuff. You can almost kind of like recreate that on Lightning in a way. Like there's some scenarios there where, you know, when, when miners start getting into the game of Lightning, it's almost like the same. I don't know if it's state chains or like space chains or like one of them, but like the idea of like introducing different incentives on that are operate on different layers than, than Bitcoin. How do those incentives line up? Right. So like if, you know, for maybe this flood and loot attack, or maybe, you know, there could be some attacks that like, if the miner was also a lightning node, those change the incentives too. They may actually participate in other attacks if they were, if they were running their mining mining operation as well. So like there's there's this idea of like me and you as users with a channel together, we may do certain things and may not do other things, right? But like when you introduce a miner that's running a lightning node, that's a whole different story. And I think we'll eventually start seeing that as well. And and yeah, I, I, I think she came out with an article on it. I, I forget where it was. It's probably on her medium or something, but you know, there's there's all kinds of incentives that could we haven't even like thought of yet or so you know, or it's just on the edge of, you know, even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree. Like, yeah, what what do the incentives say? If the incentives say that a miner could be you know, a bad actor and this still works out? Or is it like if enough miners were bad actors, like then, then does lightning still operate, you know, even, even beyond like, you know, there's the whole 51% attack. Like if we hit 51%, like, you know, we're kind of all fucked. Right. But even below that, is there, is there other avenues where a miner could try to extract value by being a bad actor without like getting 51% of the network? But I mean, even if you, even if they did have 51% of the network, they could only that would there's a, a limited n- attack that could be perpetrated against the Bitcoin network, right? Basically, just double, yeah, double spins, right? But yeah, yeah, that could spill over into Lightning too. No, oh, that would be interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Huh. So we talked about. So I think I asked this at the beginning, and forgive me if I if I already did, but. What other technologies related to, we've been talking about the Lightning Network, what other things in the Bitcoin space, whether it's companies that are starting up or, you know, new protocols that are being proposed that have got you guys really excited that we haven't talked about so far in this conversation? Ben, you want to go first since you've been quiet for a while? Yeah, I think Fediment's probably one of the biggest things that's like happening now in the space. It's pretty cool. It's like, 
using this thing called a Chamin eCache server. It's basically like the kind of the properties of it. It's perfect privacy, but fully custodial. And it's, it's funny because it's something that was invented like 30 years before Bitcoin was. And like initially like some banks used it, but it got like either like shut down or just failed. And, you know, then it was just kind of in like, oh, this is a cool idea, but failed in the fiat world. Now people are trying again on Bitcoin because, you know, now they can make these fediments like interoperable between each other where you can have like multiple banks that talk to each other through Bitcoin and that's all Bitcoin denominated, but you still can have this perfect privacy on top of it. So I think it's going to be like a really cool solution to potentially like having, I know another way to do privacy on Bitcoin, it will be custodial, but I think like, you know, the idea is it's a fediment, so it's a federation running, running it. So it's a lot harder, you know, you can't just have like one person rug pull, you would need to be a collection of people. And if you, you know, make it sufficiently large, it should be, you know, safe enough for, you know, amounts to keep on there for privacy. Love it. Yeah. Tony, I, I, yeah. Fediment, man. It's from a, from a privacy standpoint, I think it's really exciting. I mean, yeah, there is, there is a custodial aspect, right. But, you know, I think, I mean, even myself, like I'm not, I'm not going to be using it to, because I'm not capable of custody, right? Like I want to use it so that the spending money that I have and the daily, you know, spending and receiving that I may do on, on a mobile wallet, like I want that to be as, as private as possible. And even with Lightning, even with PLN, just how I described it earlier, like, you know, there's still Lightning channels. There's still like being online. There's still like liquidity issues, receiving, you know, you need inbound liquidity to receive on Lightning. So you need channels open and then you need all these other things involved. Like, like that's, you know, not practical from like an everyday standpoint in a lot of ways and, and for everyone, right? So if I want just like a Lightning wallet, that works really well and, and Fediment actually works with it integrates with Lightning incredibly well. You can like bounce between federations by just going through Lightning. All kinds of amazing things you can do with just their Lightning integrations. Like they basically have Lightning gateways that are attached to the federation so that a Lightning gateway will honor, you know, the tokens from the federation that it's attached to. And through that mechanism you can you can basically receive on Lightning atomically. So, you know, the Lightning Gateway will accept the funds on your behalf and you'll receive tokens for them, the, these Fediment tokens. And, you know, the Lightning Gateway can't just like run off with your funds. Sure, like the Federation, if it was all a majority bad actor, you know, you, you may lose some funds there. I mean, you're trusting the Federation, but like to me, I would, I'm fine with like trusting the Federation with like a month's, you know, even like a month's worth of spending money, whatever I'm talking about, like a few thousand dollars worth of spending money at a time and and to be able to receive the privacy guarantees that Fediment provides. So like to me, that's an acceptable risk. And you're not just trusting them with your privacy too. Like you can go to Coinbase, you know, and, and Matt O'Dell likes to talk about how like some people will just pay him through Cash App. And then that way Matt doesn't see their Bitcoin wallets, right? He just sees that it's coming from Cash App. So he can't see, you know, he's he doesn't work at Cash App. He doesn't have Cash App's data. So he can't see, you know, the user's hiding amongst, is trusting Cash App with their privacy. And that way no one can like analyze their their data and their transactions. But with Fediment, it's, you're not just trusting Fediment with your privacy. Like they literally don't know what your transactions are, what, what your Bitcoin are. They gave you a token at some point that's blinded. So when you go to spend it later, they have no idea if that's still you or not. Like yep. the most they can do if you, and you can do Fediment in all kinds of different ways, but like even in the scenario where you, it, it's a KYC based federation, 
which I'm sure will exist. And there will be non-KYC ones and KYC free ones and you know stuff like that. Even if you're just like a single identity at a federation and you're receiving these federation, these blinded tokens, the worst they can do is just see how much tokens you have ever received, but not necessarily, they won't know how much you currently have. They won't know when you've ever spent it, where you spent it to. So there's a lot of beautiful privacy benefits to using, you know, Fediment. And it's not just trusting with them with your privacy, it's trusting them with custody, but it's got some really great private guarantees there. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, I think is so interesting, which you guys both touched on, but is that it allows you to rely on kind of existing real world trust structures. So, you know, this federation can be composed of people from these existing very strong social networks, like, you know, your, the leaders in your local community or your church or your group of friends where it becomes way, way more effective than, or, or the trust structures that you are relying on are potentially more reliable than what a lot of people use right now, which is you're just trusting a third party entity like your bank. There's not even a person who is like that you're trusting. It's just this, this entity, which is a much higher risk. And I think, you, you know, you mentioned Odell, one of the things that is so compelling to me about Fediment is, you know, people will, will, will use the simplest thing that they can. And so that meets their needs basically. And so right now, a lot of people continue to use exchanges and systems like that because it is the easiest thing, right? It's easy to send somebody cash app payments, you know, send Bitcoin by cash app and just use that. But Fediment aims to, and I think will really effectively kind of bridge that gap. So it's not as, as you know, sovereign as, you know, full self-custody, but it does a really good job of finding the balance between trust and also ease of use and kind of somewhere in the middle. And I think it's going to be a to your guys' point, a really important aspect of hyper-Bitcoinization as we go forward. Yep. And beyond just the privacy benefits, like it is, it is also trying to solve the like, you know, grandma use case where like even grandma can, you know, start receiving on Bitcoin. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So what do you guys think is the the largest, I'm gonna say the largest threat to Bitcoin or Lightning, but I want to specifically focus it on things that people are not really talking about enough. Like, what do you guys think is the, the largest attack vector, whether cultural, technological, that people are sleeping on right now? Hmm. I, I think I'm sometimes worried about Lightning. There's, you know, again, going back to Matt and Citadel Dispatch, I've been on a few times. If, you, if your listeners out there haven't heard of Citadel Dispatch, definitely subscribe. Episode 69 was a great one. I was on it. But it's... I, I I love Lightning so much, and it's where I spend a lot of time on it, and it's it's a lot of fun. But I, you know, it could turn into something that you know you talk about incentives, you talk about all these probing vulnerabilities, and and channel ba- You know, we even talked about some of the many vulnerabilities to Lightning and some of the holes. It's it's a little bit of a concern sometimes. Like, could it? Could it fail? Like, I mean, I think like at the end of the day, even if I just open a channel with Ben and me and Ben are like past, you know, we're, we're gambling a lot and we're just playing, you know, casino games at home and, you know, we can go through each other and that's fine. Right. But when you start introducing the network aspect of it, when you start introducing like DDoS attacks, you start introducing, you know, the routing mechanism, Bolt 12 is going to introduce a lot of like possible spam vectors with just passing messages across the lightning network. Like there's all these holes that 
you know, I don't think there's great solutions for yet. I mean, like channel jamming is a thing as well that we've just like hand waved because like no one's actually going through and channel jamming people. But like that's well, you can do that today. You can actually go through and jam people's channels, but like no one's talking about it because no one's actually doing it. And so I don't know. It's I'm concerned that you know Matt. Oh yeah, the reason I brought up Matt, he keeps saying like Lightning is not operating in an adversarial environment, and like that's that's a hundred percent true. Like you don't see the Lightning Network being used in darknet markets. You don't see you don't see you know people getting attacked left and right with the current vulnerabilities that exist on Lightning. So you know if we want if we want to progress forward, I think we have to like try to get ahead of these vulnerabilities. And that's another reason why I did the private channel probing stuff is because like hey, this is a vulnerability. And people could be executing it. Let me just actually execute it and say, okay, you know, do you guys like this or not? Like, let's try to fix it. And so I don't know. Maybe the next thing I do, I just start going through channel jamming people and saying, you know, do, you, do you like this or not? Like, let's let's actually try to fix this because it's it's a vulnerability. If we want to uh, progress lightning even further, we need these attacks to happen, and we need we need to actually actively fix them and make sure that we don't introduce protocol vulnerabilities that you know cause it to get worse. Hmm. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, I, I do echo a lot of Tony's concerns about the Lightning. Like, uh, it definitely is, like, I like to say a lot, like, Lightning's kind of a LARP right now. Like, it's very, it's awesome. It's very usable for what you can do, but, you know, it's very nation and new. You know, like, I think uh, it was in 2019, we had the bug where you could just open a channel and tell your counterparty it's a thousand Bitcoin and they would just trust that. They didn't actually check how big the, how much money you sent them. So you could just like steal tons of money. There's lots of issues like that. And it, it, lots of these things have been fixed, but you know, it's still very new. And we have like all these implementations that, you know, try to be compatible. They all, lots of times accidentally just fall out of compatibility and stuff. So it is something that, you know, people are working on and trying to make better. On the Bitcoin side, I think like we're, we're doing a very good job. I think like keeping it very, you know, like we rarely ever soft fork and, you know, we never hard fork, try to keep it like very conservative and like um, targeted on what we're doing. And it's been going very well. I still think on the actual like human side, we could be improving like things like, you know, like your personal security and like heart and key security is something that could be improved a lot. You know, like most people just use like a single SIG and if I, you know, knock on their door with a gun. I could probably steal most people's Bitcoin and that's not very good. Things like multi-sig or covenants could help this a lot that, you know, are things that, you know, multi-sig exists today, but isn't very easy to use. And, you know, a lot of times people end up using things like Unchained, which is great, but, you know, it's KYC'd and you have a trusted third party now inside of your multi-sig. And, you know, if we can make that easier or something like covenants where we could, you know, make it so you literally can't spend your Bitcoin unless it goes to a separate wallet. Or, you know, I have to wait X amount of years before I can spend my Bitcoin and make it a lot better. You both gave good answers, surprising no one. <laughs> hmm. What else? I mean, we have, you know, 10 minutes left. I'm curious, what have we not talked about? What do you guys want to just like riff on together? What about that money that uh, Tony owes you, Ben, or that thing that we can't talk about? Live. He owes me money. Yeah, he owes me lots of money. All of his. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'll joking aside. Yeah. What, what have we not talked about today that that's worth diving into? Meetups. Ooh. I think Bitcoin meetups are extremely important, and people need to focus on them more. I mean, you guys are doing a fantastic job in Nashville. I think here in Austin, we're doing a pretty good job as well. 
And I don't know, I think like more people need to like, I don't know, maybe like take ownership and like feel a sense of pride in your meetup. Like they're like, for one, they're fun, but like, it's a, a fantastic network where like, I like, I mean, personally I've made tons of friends through our Austin meetup and going to other people's meetups. I've met lots of like really awesome Bitcoiners. It's also like an extremely well t- good tool. Like you can, you know, find potential like jobs or hires. You can, you know, find people to buy and sell Bitcoin to KYC free, all these things. So I think it's something very important. I love like what you guys are doing in Nashville with the Bitcoin park. That is like amazing. And here in Austin, we have the commons, which is pretty great. And uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I think people more need to like find meetups or start one. Like I, I, I here at the Bitcoin company, we have an intern right now and he's going back to college in a couple of weeks and he's like, Oh, should I start a meetup at my college? I'm like, definitely. Like, you need to, like, you know, like, there's so, like, he's saying that, oh, everyone's a shit corner there. I'm like, then you definitely need to, like, need to inform these people, help them out, as well as just, like, you know, bring people in, show them, like, you know, what cool things you can do with Bitcoin, show them, you know, all the awesome stuff that we're doing and, like, you know, just talk about it. Yeah, the Bitcoin Park, what they're doing over there in Nashville is amazing. If you are in Nashville or thinking about coming, you should absolutely. Go find out when the next one is. There's one tomorrow. Tomorrow, Exactly. It's going to be. I'm in town for that shit. So you better come. If you're like in the Nashville area and you don't show up, you suck. You hate America and Christmas and Q specifically. Mainly just the me part, but I got goodies. Yeah. 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 Tony, what about you? Yeah, no, I mean, on that topic too, I mean, the, the meetup tomorrow is like all about, uh, I know Rockstar's doing it, it's all about like digital identity. That's kind of the theme for the week. Uh, there's like a little catch 22, right? And and when you're talking about privacy, it's like the privacy paradox. It's like, you know, here we are talking about privacy, yet we're just like all face docs everywhere on stage in Miami, like a target. Like we're all, we're all target. We're like almost LARPing about privacy in some way. It's like we... We care so much about it, but it's we have to make trade-offs, right? And you can be like you can be a you know an anon. You know that's not to say I don't have like many different anons all over the internet, right? But it's, it's like it, there's still some sort of if you want to get like the most amount of work done and the most amount of networking and the most amount of reach, it, it's like being public is unfortunately like one of the I'm going to say be- easier paths to go down. You just you just become face docs, you use your name, you use of something that people can relate to, people can trust, they can honor, but you, you don't always get that by being an anon. So like, you know, if you're, you know, I would always say like, you know, if I, you know, if I would start from scratch, um, you know, I would just show up to the Bitcoin meetup and just like under a completely different name, like a completely new like Twitter account. Like if you're just getting in, the sad thing is like it's preaching the choir, right? If you go to like a Bitcoin meetup and you say, hey, here's why digital, here's why your identity, you know, should be private. Here's all the things you can do. Well, you already showed up with your face under a name before like the meetup even started. So like there's a lot of paradoxes when it comes to privacy. I mean, it may seem like we're LARPing sometimes when we, when we try to like say privacy is important and and yeah, here we are, all public, you know, on stage in Miami, like in front of thousands of people, right? Like it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a necessary evil in a way. I don't know. I don't, I'm curious your guys' thoughts on that. I think what you're, I mean, I completely agree, right? We, in many ways, we are privacy LARPing, right? And I think I, I certainly went through this process when I kind of started engaging with people about Bitcoin publicly. I grew up in a in a household of, of kind of like, you know, numismatists, gold bugs. And it was like, the first rule of this asset is you never talk about this asset. And so that kind of transitioned with me over into, into Bitcoin. So, you know, 
for years, I just never talked to anybody about it. And then, you know, with COVID and everything, I just started losing my mind. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go on Clubhouse and just say whatever I want. And yeah, I mean, it definitely creates a, a risk. And for me, there was the aspect of I gained so much by interacting socially with, with other people that the benefits outweighed the costs. So I was learning so much. I was being challenged to think about Bitcoin in new ways that I just couldn't get by only interacting more passively and protecting my identity. But yeah, it's definitely a, a significant trade-off. And if you're just getting into Bitcoin, I agree. Everybody should be using a NIM. NIMs that sound like real names are better than ones that don't, you know, find an image. I, I think we should, there should be a whole line of like full facial prosthetics that just, you know, you can wear at all times, 24 seven, you know, when you're working with your family, with your kids, you know, make sure your family doesn't even realize who your, what your real face looks like. You got to just protect your identity at all times. hundred percent. He just wants to normalize all the plastic surgery he's gone through, because if you guys didn't realize this, he is about, I believe, 183, 184 years old. Yeah, you weren't supposed to tell people that, but since you did, Sorry. it's true. Yeah. He has the he has truly the best privacy system of all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think an important distinction here as well, though, like there's like operational like privacy like you know keeping your face and not docs and stuff and there's also like financial privacy like me going on the show tells no one how much bitcoin i own you know now i mean people probably know i own bitcoin but i don't know i lost it on a boating accident but like you know i could have a million bitcoin i could have a hundred dollars of bitcoin and no one knows but you know if i fuck up my like on-chain privacy people could find out that you know i have like a million bitcoin and you know obviously i don't want people to know how much bitcoin i have so there, there's like different le- like levels of doxing and what you're actually doxing. And kind of the, the whole point of privacy is like, you know, I try to be private, but like also like I invited people to my birthday party and stuff. And, you know, so it was something I don't just tweet out today's my birthday, but also my friends know what my birthday is because, you know, I selectively choose who can know information. So, you know, I, I think we all have decided that it's okay for someone to know what, the, what my face looks like, but, you know, I'm not going to say I own a million Bitcoin. I'm not going to say... You know, my birthday is today or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, you can selectively just choose different information to reveal to people. I'm curious your thoughts then. And for, of course, happy birthday, Ben. In case anyone didn't know, it is Ben Carman's birthday. <laughs> it is actually his birthday. It's yeah. definitely my birthday. <laughs> what are your thoughts then on like the stack chain? When people are posting and some people may not do the best at covering up their sort of tracks and you're, you're able to see that transaction ID or you're able to see the time it happens, what exchange they're using, like thoughts on just the stack chain movement and how it feeds into privacy. I think it's cool. Like I, I like the idea of just like, you know, everyone incrementing a dollar and they're up to like a lot of money now. And yeah, it, it is something like, you know, if you like screenshot, like I bought point one, two, three, four, five, like, you know, the exact number of Bitcoin and then you withdraw it, like more than likely you'll be able to find the transaction ID pretty easily. And, you know, if they later combine it with other coins or do something, you're going to be able to, like, get their wallet cluster, which is, you know, not good. So there is, like, trade-offs there. But luckily, like, some things, like, I think, like, River and Swan have, like, ways to, like, share it, but they, like, blur out the number. Or if you just share, like, the U.S. dollar amount, you might be a little safer. But, uh, yeah, it is something to be, like, warrant of, like, you are doxing that you're, like, buying Bitcoin. And if you give an exact amount, people are going to be able to find that pretty easily. Same thing with like the LN trust chain. I, it was a great movement, but it is like everyone's just posting invoices on Twitter and saying, send, send, 
you know, send the trust train my way. Like invoices reveal a lot about, about yourself. Like it leaks, leaks your node pub key. Right. And then all the, you know, public channels are now associated. All the UTXOs making up those public channels are now associated with you. It's like, imagine if you just tweeted out your X pub right now, like that's, that's pretty shit. So like, we're all tweeting out lightning invoices and, and I think they can still kind of fit in a tweet. Sometimes they don't, but we're tweeting those out and that's like linking to our nodes as well. So like, you know, I'm, I'm not, while well, the trust lightning trust chain was like a great, great movement and got people playing with it, got a lot of interest. It is kind of not great to be tweeting out private information or, you know, or not even just private information, just associating information to you that is otherwise, you know, somewhat anonymous or pseudonymous. So my friends, we're coming close to the end of our show today, and I want to give you both an opportunity to, to basically talk about how people can find you, promote the things that you're working on right now and get everybody excited. So Tony, do you want to start? Yeah, right now I'm not really online anywhere. Sometimes I feel like I live under a rock. You can find me in Austin or Nashville. I won't be in Nashville this week, unfortunately, but great meetup going on there. Yeah, just find me in person at a Bitcoin meetup. Yeah, it's been it's been awesome chatting with you guys. Fantastic. And Ben, how can people get in touch with you? How can they find you? How can uh, they- I'm, I'm at Ben the Car Man on basically everything. Or find me at Austin Bit Devs. I'll be in Nashville this weekend, so don't kill me, but come hang out with me. And I don't know, yeah, come buy gift cards at the Bitcoin company, use code love and you get, I think, 100 sats or something. Yeah. Good stuff. Did you see the the movie posters that I made of your name in advance of this? No. I sent them to you over Twitter. I'll give me a sec. I'll I'll, I'll pull them up because they're... Okay. First off, I'm just saying now, if and when AI takes over our society, it is all P's fault. It is all P's fault. And secondly, Tony, if you don't come through tomorrow, I will take personal offense to that. P, you tagged my scammer account. (laughs) Oops. Oh, well, he's going to take those images. Yes. Sorry. Sorry, Q. That's why I'm not going tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) We need to get rid of that fucking scammer account. I agree. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, those are awesome. That's actually where you can find me. I own Ben the... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait, wait. wait. Say it again. What is your actual Twitter handle and what is the Twitter handle that everybody should report as a scammer? Mine's Ben the Carman. No underscores, no nothing. The the scammer is Ben the underscore Carman. You can also get to Ben's Twitter account by typing in the bitcoincompany.gay. That also redirects Ben the Carman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Got my a friends. To, to see all hidden lightning network stuff as well. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Adios. Thanks so much, guys. Hey, guys. This is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. We're going back to Miami for Bitcoin 2023. Lock in your tickets before prices go up. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets today. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.